Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's performance of My Favourite Flop. At this time, we ask that you turn up the volume on all cell phones, laptops, and car stereos as loud as possible. Please be advised that this production could contain Broadway shows with overall financial losses, those with less than 250 performances, some that had no national tour after their initial Broadway engagement, and Broadway shows that never actually opened on Broadway. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, Welcome back! back! Oh my goodness, episode four. I can't believe we actually have made it to episode I four. I mean, when crazy? we when we set out to do this, I was like, we'll probably do an episode or two and maybe like three people listen to it. But nope, <laughs> we're here on episode four. Uh, people have been enjoying the show. It's awesome. I'm so excited that it's bringing so much joy. So much joy. People and people so are reaching out joy. and they're telling us things, right? Like, yeah. Like they're 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 saying things like, oh, my God, I love Marilyn or I saw Marilyn on Broadway or, oh, my gosh, Taboo is my favorite musical ever. Or it was exciting to me to see people excited about Seven Brides. Absolutely. Well, people I think of all the shows we've done so far, that's the one that people love. People love Seven Brides. In fact, I think some people may be ready to start fights with us for calling it a flop. Right. Because the show is done everywhere. Everybody Look, friends, does. flop is not a negative at my favorite flop. Flop does not equal bad. Flop just means it no. didn't make money on Broadway. And there are 5,000 different reasons for that. Uh, so that, many. That we hope to cover as we do this podcast, you know, as we do all these different shows. Uh, they're all a little bit different and they all failed for different reasons, right? Yeah. And sometimes a show is just ahead of its time or, you know, works really well at every community theater in America. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Okay, Bobby. I think it's time. Time for what? What have you been listening to? <laughs> what have I been listening to? Okay, I have been listening to this week um, a show that I actually think we might do on this podcast one day because it did flop on Broadway. But just like Seven Brides, this show is extremely popular. Uh, but I've been listening to a lot of Be More Chill, actually. Oh. Be More Chill, okay. yeah. Uh, How do we I feel mean, about it? So... I saw Be More Chill on Broadway, and um, I don't know if it was the, my most favorite thing I saw in New York, but the cast recording has absolutely grown on me. Now, I'm not listening to the Broadway cast recording. I'm listening to the original one they made before Broadway. Okay. Uh, but it's totally grown on me. I love a Joe Iconis score. Um, you know, it's what I put on my iPhone this week. So every time I start <laughs> my car, uh, I become an official member of the Squip Squad. And yeah, Be More Chill. You know, what's interesting about Be More Chill is that it's kind of like um, the first viral musical, right? Uh, like sure, it, yeah. it became huge online, you know, with that video of George Salazar singing Michael in the bathroom. Right. Uh, and it became this viral sensation, which pushed it to Broadway. It had this huge, massive group of teenage fans who all of a sudden it opens on Broadway and they can't afford to go see it because they're actual teenagers and they live all over the world, not just in New York. Uh, but it, it kind of, as far as I can tell, is like the first viral musical. And then we've seen that continue on obviously yeah. with musicals like Beetlejuice and your most favorite musical ever six 
Yeah, be well, more chill. Well, and Ratatouille, which and, is oh my, just completely written online. Ratatouille. And now we've and now, got Bridgerton the musical. I mean, TikTok. TikTok is writing musicals now. So this is it's like... so bizarre. This is like, the, this is like the, the, the proud little papa bear of the whole TikTok musical movement. Be more chill. I don't know. It's really great. I would love to direct the show one day. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Little Shop of Horrors. It's got a lot of similarities to that. Oh, I so. could see that. I definitely could see that. All right. Well, Christina, what have you been listening to this week? Well, I've been listening to an oldie but a goodie. Okay. Songs for a New World. All right. Now, have you been listening to the original recording or the new one that they did at Encores? No, no, no. The original recording. Okay. I, I asked because they're both fantastic. So They are both fantastic, but there is something really magical about the original cast and the original recording. And I think a big part of that is that it, it was... Okay, so we've established that Christina when she was a teenager, was not very aware of contemporary musical theater. But this was one of the few shows that I was exposed to by one of my close friends in high school. Oh, so you knew Songs for a New World before I college. did. Bef- okay. I know. I oh, felt wow. really cool for knowing about it. Oh, my goodness. But I fell in love with it because, okay, it's not the one that everybody goes for, but I love Sorabaya Santa. I think it's I hilarious. Mean... It's so much fun. I want to play that track. Oh, my goodness. Well, you could play that track. In 30 years. No, I, they're all young, though. Like, the same person no, who sings not. that. The same person who sings that sings, like, other young stuff. No, she sings just one step. But so, you, again, you, I, I saw Shoshana Bean do it. Shoshana Bean's not that much older than you. I guess not. But, like, the character should be a divorcee. Well, like in her 40s or 50s in that song but it is a song cycle they play many yeah but everything characters. she does in the song cycle it doesn't matter the point is is i love the show well back to back to my favorite flop uh we have a new episode today and we're talking about a brand new show right um, yes and, we are we have to give them the clues bobby right but before we do i want to say like i know the show is called my favorite flop but it's a it's a collective my you know it's your favorite flop it's my favorite flop but tonight is one of my literal favorite flops like this is one of my favorite shows ever mine too and i'm super excited so we got to do these clues right um yeah, yeah. so i'll give the first one yeah Yep. Okay. The first clue, which we gave at the end of our last episode, is for Valentine's Day. This is a musical about communism. They're both red. They're both red. The second clue was on Twitter. It was this musical was conceived as a vehicle for Barbara Streisand. Oh, Barbara. Oh, Barb's. Barb, do you know what she did instead of this? Yeah, funny girl. <laughs> yeah, I think she made a good choice. Uh, so clue number, clue number three, uh, which was a visual clue on Instagram, uh, was a shot of stars Bob Dishy and Liza Minnelli in rehearsal. You might not recognize Liza because she has longer hair. She hadn't cut it all off yet, uh, but that was totally she them was rehearsing. She also 19 years old. She's very young, very young. <laughs> no um, sequins yet. Uh, the next one was the Facebook blog, which you wrote. It was fantastic. And it was all about the youngest Tony winners. Liza was the youngest person to that point to win Best Actress in a Musical. And she was only 19. Only 19. Makes me question every single life choice I've made. All the life choices. All the life choices. And our last clue, which I'm going to give everybody right now, if you haven't guessed it yet, and I think it's kind of obvious. Um, but if not, uh, this show marked the Broadway debut of composing team Candor and Ebb. Do you know what it is? Let's find out. All right. <laughs> Now, what a title. 
such a, a title. T- I don't know t- if it's the right title for a musical, but here we are. But it is a fantastic show. At least it's a fantastic score, right? Um, it's actually I love this score. one of my favorite. It is so good. Uh, it might work for a play. That sounds like a play. Floor of the Red Menace. It's like, okay. Yeah, I can get I could get behind that. Like, that sounds like a serious play, not a musical comedy. Well, um, the title also doesn't really encompass the story, does it? I mean, kind of. Com- communism. Mm. Flora. But it's got that comma, too. It's like, Flora... The Red Menace. It's like yeah, Star Wars. She's not, the Phantom Menace. She's not really a menace in this show. It's not like Dennis the Menace. <laughs> but despite that, um, I, I love Flora. Like, I can't say that enough. Uh, the score is fantastic. This is one of those flops that even though it didn't do well on Broadway, these songs, the songs from Flora the Red Menace are still incredibly popular. I mean, you have stuff yeah. like sing happy uh all i quiet need is one thing. good break a quiet thing who doesn't perform a quiet thing in their cabaret act well i do so there's that <laughs> that's what i mean I mean, not only you but like everybody does it's such a fantastic song it's a beautiful uh, song there's so much and uh you know what's crazy about this show uh which we're going to tell everybody about it's super timely with what's going on in the world right now right yes when i was listening to that opening number because it went back and listen to the cast album um and i was listening to it i was like this is too real and scary because it's all about them on a bread line waiting to get food right after the great depression and yeah and it was like people who used to work on wall street now have to wait in a bread line and get food stamps and i was like this is this hits close to home. It's, it's very 2021. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, especially in our world, the performing arts world is probably one of the most affected by this pandemic, right? Definitely. You know, we're going to be one of the last industries to come back. You know, the idea that it's these artists, because she plays an artist in the show, out of work on a breadline. It's like, wow. This real is, life. This is real life. I don't know. I don't know if I appreciated the score this way until this year. I'd always like yeah. the songs, but you're listening. You're like, oh, man, this is this is real. This okay. Is... Okay. Wait. <laughs> we gotta go over what the show's about. Yeah. Flora the Red Menace is the story of Flora, aka Liza Minnelli, right? Who's the valedictorian of her art school. She graduated in the middle of the depression. Right. Everyone is on the bread line, and she meets Harry, who is also an out of work student who happens to be a member of the Communist Party. Right. She falls in love with him and um he really wants her to join the Communist Party, but she's battling with the fact that she just got offered this amazing job at $30 a week, which is a lot of money back in the 20s. Right. And it kind of still feels like a lot of money now. <laughs> but that's besides the point. Okay, so she she wants to be a fashion designer, right? And she gets this job working in the fashion department at a department store. So it's a big deal for her. And she's flirting with this choice of, do I really want to go down this path with Harry, the man I love, or... Yay! Capitalism! Right. I'm going to go take this job working for the man. Right. Um, you know, and the bra- the debut of Candor and Ebb on Broadway, that's huge. Like, huge. They, I mean, Cabaret, Chicago, oh, all the shows. All my but, favorites. Like, this is the, the very first one that got produced, uh, which is exciting. But it's actually not the first musical they ever wrote. Did you know that? Oh, really? No, I didn't. Okay, so they, they actually... 
they were put together. So this is a big story. Uh, they were they had the same literary agent or something. And um, the agent was like, you guys, I think, would work well together. So paired them up and they started writing some like pop standardy songs. Uh, you I, I don't know many of them, but I do know one of them was my coloring book. Um, oh, it's a right. Okay. Popular one. Barbara has done it famously. Yeah. Uh, so they started doing that and they got the attention of Hal Prince, who was like, OK, Let's see what you guys got. And he hired them to write this musical called The Golden Gate. Now, do you know what the musical Golden Gate is about? I mean, I assume it has something to do with San Francisco. Yep, absolutely. It is about the <laughs> aftermath of the 1906 earthquake. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. The musical. Uh, and so Hal Prince had them write this. They should have just called it Earthquake, but believe it or not, it's actually a musical called Earthquake, which maybe one day we'll do on this podcast. It's not written by Cantor and Ebb. Oh, uh, boy. But so they write this 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 musical for Al Prince about the aftermath of the earthquake. And he's like, great, you guys pass. It was literally just a test. He had no intention of producing it. So they Rude. So does, don't produce Golden Gate. Uh, and he's like, but instead, how about this musical about communism? Uh, I mean, that's that's a, that's a sidestep, isn't it? Maybe. A, I think the earthquake one probably makes more sense. Natural progression right there. Uh, so, yeah, they they um, they put he put them on Flora, which is crazy. Uh, and, and that actually got to Broadway. It did. It did get to Broadway. So we talked about how this was originally conceived for Barbara Babs. Right. And she, of course, didn't do it because she chose to do Funny Girl instead. Choices were made. (laughs) Choices were made. Uh, So, yeah. And then I think Edie Gourmet from Stephen Edie uh, at one point was imagined. Uh, But it's, you know, we like to think of Liza. You know, everyone knows she's Judy Garland's daughter, right? Uh, And Vincente Minnelli's daughter as well. So it's not just mom who's famous. Dad is pretty big deal. And, you know, I think everyone just assumes, well, she had famous parents. That's why she became a big star. But No, 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 friends. No, she when she was a teenager, she famously saw, I think, the touring production or either the Broadway production of Bye Bye Birdie and was like, I want to do that. And mom and dad were like, cool, figure it out yourself. And so she ended up like moving to New York alone without any money. Uh, I've read somewhere that she was like sleeping on park benches while she was auditioning for musical theater gigs. Uh, Then she started out in summer stock. It wasn't like. Yeah. Broadway happened right away. She did Summerstock. I think she did the the national tour of the Fantastics. Well, I'm pretty sure she did it off Broadway as well. Did she? Yeah. the The libretto I have has pictures of her, like rehearsal photos of her. So yeah, it. she did the Fantastics. Which, when I think of Liza Minnelli, I don't know if I think of Louisa or a soprano. But uh... no, but she she has a lot. We have to remember that Liza has a lot of technique, right? Totally. And so she became known for her belt, but she started out as a soprano. And Louisa seems to make sense. I mean, Louisa's a little... But she's you know, batshit crazy. She, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you when you when you sit and digest the fact that Liza played Louisa, you're like, oh, I, I get that. But like, yeah. I, you know, I just when I think I think of people like Kelly O'Hara or, you know, sure. who when they were young... Very Did Kelly play it when she was young? I'm going to be surprised. I imagine. I feel like that's a true story. We're going to pretend. Kelly, but, if you're listening, we would like to know. Did you play if, Louisa in the Fantastic Summer? And if Please not, tell us. Can you do it at Encores? 
that would be great. But I don't know if I'd think of Liza, but it absolutely makes sense. Like, I, I actually would kill to see video of that because I know, right? much more like would be crazy, Amazing. crazy. crazy. It's, one of, it's like one of the few ingenues that I fell in love with. One of the few soprano ingenues that I fell in love with that I really want to play. Yeah. And maybe you'll do it in concert one day. It'll be, yeah. you know, just like you and Kelly, you'll split the score. <laughs> but so yeah, she, Liza moved from Summerstock to to some production of the Fantastics, uh, and then she ended up getting cast in an off Broadway show. So again, not an easy road to stardom for Liza. Uh, she was cast in Best Foot Forward off Broadway. Uh, she got a lot of really great press for that, which led to a lot of television performances, um, and her star was rising. Like Best Foot Forward, she's on TV. I think now Mom and Dad's fame starting to kick in. It's like oh, Liza's forced to be reckoned with uh and so then was recommended to star in the show 19 so all of this happens before she's 19 like can we talk about this i know it really just makes me feel really bad about myself starring in Summerstock, doing the fantastic somewhere off-broadway musical rave reviews television performances okay now you get a broadway show and she's just 19 yeah, after like four other people turned it down. Oh, I guess we'll go with the 19-year-old. <laughs> we'll go with Liza. Why not? Why not? Um, so they went with Liza. The show didn't do well, but it kind of really launched her career. And it, it did. And it also launched her relationship with Candor and Ebb. Right. Well, both of their careers took off after this. So it wasn't yeah. wasn't one of those sad stories where the show flopped and, you know, major players involved didn't move on to bigger things. No, Liza became a legit celebrity. Kendra Neb became Kendra Neb, you know, <laughs> and to, and not al- not only alone, but together. Like you said, yeah. they were besties. I mean, how many Kendra Neb shows did Liza do? I I don't know that number off the top of my head, but there had to have been at least three. I mean, she did Cabaret the movies. So right. That's another one. Uh, she stepped in to Chicago for Gwen Verdon. She's like, oh, Gwen, oh, you need to I get. I didn't know that. That's oh. cool. Wait, you didn't know that? No. Oh my, see, this is why you need to watch Fosse Verdon. We were talking about this. This I know. Uh, Gwen Verdon, I think, had to get vocal surgery or was on vocal rest. And Liza, as a favor to Gwen and Bob, Fosse. Favor. Favor. Stepped in, but was like, I don't want to steal Gwen Verdon's thunder. Don't, don't put it in the playbill. Don't put it in the press. Don't announce it. And so, like, rumor has it that people had found out and started buying tickets. But for many people, they didn't know until right before the show. It was like, ladies and gentlemen, tonight the role of Gwen, uh, not Gwen Verdon, <laughs> the role of Roxy Hart will be played by. And everyone's like groaning. And it's like, Liza Minnelli. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Liza is doing Chicago. It's funny because I, well, no, I guess that makes sense. I always think of Gwen as Velma. I know that she didn't, that wasn't what she started out with, but right. I always think of her as Velma. I yeah. definitely see Liza as a Roxy because, again, woohoo. <laughs> so she did it. And she almost started in the movie for like 20 years, she was attached to it. Well, then it took 20 years to get made. Right. When she got too old. I mean, maybe she'll do it in concert with you and Kelly O'Hara. You could still play Roxy. You should play Roxy. I want to play Velma. Okay, you you can be like Cheetah and play both. Okay. And BB Newer did it too. So there's a long history. You know what? Of... There is. I I think I should be the next one to do it. I'll play both. Uh, so you know, listening to Flora, you can see seeds of each of their you know magic and mystery. Liza has these crazy belty numbers. You know what I mean? Uh, that really kind of give us an eye into 
the cabaret world that she would come into. Not only the movie, but a lot of her solo concerts and things like that. Um, musically, you start to hear bits and pieces of that uh, iconic candor and sound. But it's so, yeah, it's it's all of these people, but it's not just them, right? Like there are other famous people attached to this project. Right. I mean, the book writer, George Abbott, was a huge deal at the time. Not only book writer, also the director. Right. And he directed a lot of what he wrote. Absolutely. But legendary, like some legendary Legendary. shows. Damn Yankees. Call Me Madam. Pajama Game. Like like famous, famous director. Yeah. And this was really his first public flop. Yeah. I mean, I think he may have had floppy things before, but this was the big one. And I think it was a turning point in his career, because if you look at what he did after this, it was not things like Damn Yankees and Wonderful Town. That's another one of them. Uh, right. Again, oh, yeah. like. Um, no, and he wrote many plays as well, not just. And that's why a lot of the a lot of the shows that we just um, reference have really strong books. Right. But from my understanding, there was a lot of discord between him and Hal Prince on what the tone quality of Flora should be. Right. Well, so Hal Prince, also another player involved in this, but just as producer, mm-hmm. you know, we like to, it's easy to think back, oh, Hal Prince famously directed a lot of the shows that he produced, but he didn't right. direct this. Uh, in fact, he hadn't really started doing that yet. He was just this creative producer force in New York. And um, what I read was that this was a big catalyst for him to make the decision to start directing uh, the shows that he was producing because him and um, George Abbott did not see eye to eye on how to make this show work. And one of his biggest regrets was physically not directing it himself, you know, after everything was said and done, which, you know, good thing, because then we got famously like all the great shows. Well, and it's interesting because... If we look at where Hal Prince went next, he went to Cabaret, which is a very political show. So I can imagine if he was trying to do a musical about communism, he wanted to push the envelope. He wanted to have a real conversation about what communism is, how it affects people, why there's a stigma with it. Like there's all of these themes that you get to attack with something like that. Right. And... George Abbott was like, no, I don't like communism. I'm going to stay over here on this side of the line. Well, (laughs) yeah, I think I so I read somewhere that he was quoted as saying he didn't understand why someone would ever join the Communist Party. That was his personal view. And so that is the viewpoint of your director (laughs) and your book writer. And so well, and you write what you know, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating little musical right well and i love the music in this I mean, show we've this said is it like... one of those shows this was actually i think the first show that you introduced me to when i went to the library because i had been given a liza song or something and i was like yeah I, I i like it i i i like what she does and you said oh my gosh christina you have to do flora oh my god well you should still do the show she doesn't have to be 19 i mean I liza's know. Freaking nature. But look, unemployed people exist of all ages. They do. Um, we have proven that. 
No, I, that was one of the first impressions I got from you. I mean, this is the way that Bobby's mind works, right, ladies and gentlemen? I see somebody and it's like, which flop can I put you in? <laughs> and so with Christina... You put me in a few. I put you in a few, but the first one, Flora the Red Menace, I was like, oh, yes, you need to do it. Well, and I think it's probably because I think one of my first big... We hadn't met before this. One of my first big, like memories of you as a performer is your showcase song which oh, was right. that candor and ebb take on every streets of boulevard in old new york and i was like oh you gotta play lisa you gotta do all the lisa <laughs> you gotta do lisa Christine. you did say that you literally handed me a stack of research and said lisa go <laughs> yeah no so i think you could do it i think you could do it i would love to do it i think it would be a lot of fun uh, i really enjoy her songs in this show although one of the non-liza songs that i really love in this show is palomino pal you love that one. Yeah, you texted me as we're like working towards the, on the research for this episode. And you're like, oh my gosh, Palomino Pal. <laughs> Palomino Pal! <laughs> it's so silly, you guys, because it's this weird duet between two secondary characters about a cowboy and his horse. And it's a man and a woman singing. So I can't even imagine what that staging looks like. I mean, I don't know. It reminds me of Shuffle Off to Buffalo of 42nd Street with two side characters talk about going to Buffalo to get married. And then like all the girls are in cars dancing in negligence. It's so weird. I'm not really sure that Palomino Pal has a place in this show, but I quite enjoy it. And I think it's really fun. Well, and I think that's a telltale marker. You know, listening to this score, um, I mean, there are clearly songs that address the subject matter. But I think you had once said to me, uh, so she, she's she's this out-of-work girl trying to get a job on Broadway. And I was like, no, that's not what the musical is about, Christina. But, uh, well, because that's what it sounds like, right? right. I mean, you, you've got one good break and then you've got a quiet thing, um, which most people take it as a romantic song I mean it's and it is but not for a man no it's for it's... her love of fashion and her love of of the art well and her like of her dreams coming true like, yeah well, that's what i think the, the magic of that song is, is everybody thinks it's this love song like the moment you realize that the man of your or woman i guess because a guy could sing it has come into your life but no this woman is actually like wait a second I got this job like there's a depression going on. You know, we we're on bread lines uh, like people are wanting to join the Communist Party. It's very 21, 2021, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it is. But all this stuff's going on. And it's like, but wait a second. I'm going to appreciate the fact that I actually just I'm getting everything that I had dreamed about since I was a little kid. It's I don't know. It's a really magical moment. And it's crazy that the book doesn't reflect that. You know what I mean? Like, it is. For, for uh, I think, a character with such strong conviction and strong independent mm -hmm. feelings like that, she, I think Flora should actually be flirting with the idea of communism, not because of Harry, but because of what Harry maybe has introduced her to. But I think that's yeah. a stronger, like, maybe she does want to be a communist. That's an interesting, yeah. that's an interesting narrative. Like, okay, right. I've been open to this world where, you know, we all, we all work together and we live in the socialist society versus... Oh my God, I, I wanted to be this artist and I want to get paid for it. I want to make lots of money doing it. And here's this opportunity. That's that's more interesting than like, oh, well, my boyfriend's a communist, so maybe I want to be a communist too. Well, and it's interesting to me because there's there's a lot of gold to mine in this show. 
Right. But one of the things that I think is really missing is a big hurdle. Like she has no big hurdle. Right. To jump over. There's no dramatic change that happens. Right. And I think a big part of that is like you were saying, there's in the book, there's no her like really making a choice. Right. No, there's yeah. no there's no dramatic choice. And that definitely could be what leads to this being a flop, right? But within that, I, the world that surrounds a show is what can really affect a show's success or not. Right. And this show opened on Broadway in 1965. I don't know. I don't know if musicals about communism. Uh, well, no, because you were dealing with McCarthyism. Right. Right. We're at the end of McCarthyism. The baby boomers um, are we're coming out of baby boomers into Vietnam. I right. mean, there was a lot going on in the world. You had the Selma March. Malcolm X was assassinated. There was a lot of turmoil going on. So a show that isn't necessarily a feel good, happy show is going to struggle. Well, and it's the 60s, so it's coming out of the 50s, which are one of the most prosperous economic times right. in U.S. history. I mean, there's a there's a strong middle class. Not everyone gets to be a part of it, because America's got lots of issues, including crippling racism, you know, hence Selma and the Civil Rights Movement. But by and large, white middle class America, which was a large majority of the ticket buyers on Broadway, they're doing okay. So here comes this musical about the C word, you know, about communism, which is still right. a dirty word in the United States. We like people shy away from it. Even, you know, Bernie Sanders, stick it yeah. to the S word instead, <laughs> socialism, you know, and that's yeah. still a dirty word in the U.S. And we're in the 60s, right? So there's not a sympathetic communist voice in this country. So here in this musical, I could understand why George Abbott didn't necessarily want to go there. He probably felt the same way as many people buying tickets for this show. But I don't think that it was his job to decide for the audience. And that's that's the thing. You can't make the choice for the audience. The audience should be left with asking tough questions and making a choice for themselves. Right. That's that's good theater. That's good drama. That's good storytelling, you know, um, especially if you're going to tell a complex character like Flora is and is meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to embrace your complex. You have to love them as I think a storyteller, especially as a writer and as a director. And I don't know. Yeah. If... It's also important to remember as a writer that the audience knows when you're lying to them. Always. Always. They absolutely they, know. Yeah. They may not like put a label on it as you're lying, but they know in their core that something isn't right. Right. And right. that is not something that you can just ignore or hope that they don't notice. Right. Well, so what else was popular on Broadway at the time then? So if Flora didn't do well, you know, this communism musical. Right. Flora did not do well, but what ironically, was... nothing really did well. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I it's mean, later year. in the year, later in the year, you had like Man in La Mancha and On a Clear Day that did really well. Right. And then you even had a show like Skyscraper, which I had never heard of, but was not a flop and did very well. It had oh. 248 performances. <laughs> That's like two under our benchmark, but if it made its money back, so... And you, the most popular at the time was Half a Sixpence, 
which, which has is, never had a revival. And that's shocking. I mean, so people, they love it in the UK still. Like it gets oh, done I know. all the they time. They had like, the revival a few years ago. With Charlie Stemp, who I who saw. Who is spectacular. I saw him in Hello, Dolly, because I saw Hello, Dolly, the revival many times. Uh, well done. Wonderful. But Half a Sixpence, and that was not just like, oh, it's going to play. It played like how many performances? 512. Oh my, like that was a big fat hit. and Big uh, fat hit. It, but it's crazy that that was a hit in the 19, you know, mid 1960s, but we've never seen it again. So I think that show must have very much been a product of exactly what American audiences were looking for. Yeah. Given the surrounding world. And we haven't been back. Maybe that's what will survive <laughs> after COVID. Oh, completely. I mean, if expense. you look at the movies, uh, the year that it came out as well, you had Mary Poppins. Huge. Sound of Music. <laughs> Huge. People love Julie Andrews. Love Julie Andrews. And here comes another Julie Andrews, but not in the film. My Fair Lady. Then you have Goldfinger was like one of the most popular movies of that year. People and love James Bond. And then the music as well. Pop music at the time was all about rock and roll. Right. Oh, yeah. You had the Kinks, Beatles, the Stones, the Animals, like everybody. You had the British Invasion was happening at that time. So there's this weird cacophony of pop culture. And then you have Florida the Red Menace. <laughs> Back to Liza, you know, you brought up the Beatles um, and the animals and things like that being really popular at the time. Something that's interesting to look at is uh, Liza Minnelli um, never really had a huge pop rock career. And I bring that up because she really came up around the same time. You know, this this musical was conceived for Barbara Streisand, who not right. only Tony Award winning actress and an EGOT Oscars, she produces. She blah. She's also a huge pop star. You know what I mean? Right. And also there were a few of them like that. A few of the leading ladies of Broadway beds. Bette Midler. Oh. Sorry, Bette Midler. But then Liza didn't sneak right in. And it's kind of, I don't bring that up to be like, oh, Liza didn't make it. It really is a turning point for Broadway. We have mm. these huge rock groups taking over the British invasion and it changes American music forever. We've never oh, gone totally. back from there. But I think it really is like the huge turning point from when Broadway went from being uh, the birth of a lot of these popular music stars and also popular music in general and yeah. diversion to something else. Because Liza tried. She she really tried to be a pop star. Um, she had she had pop albums and yeah. they did not take off the same way. Uh, and she kind of carved her own niche. You know what I mean? She did her own. She totally did. And thing. I mean, she ended up touring all over the world, as we learned on After the Bows. <laughs> on After the with with, with Cortez, Cortez Alexander. <laughs> but it's not just her. Like after Liza, you don't see Betty Buckley. She doesn't become a huge pop star. Patty right. Lapone doesn't become a big pop star. Bernadette, the leading ladies of Broadway stop really after Barbara and Bette. Right. And it really becomes the separate. It's so weird. But here's what I will say about that. You named a couple of these amazing leading ladies. A lot of them are incredible actors first. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's something I absolutely adore about Liza. Well, that's why I that, put her in that group, you know? Oh, completely. And the thing that's wonderful about her is that she's not all about the voice. Right. Well, and like, so she is, if you've never listened to Florida Red Menace, ladies and gentlemen, buy it. I, Apple Music, if you, if you are super cheap, go to our website and listening listen to the playlist on Spotify that I'm going to post in the show notes. Yeah. It, if you don't know Flora, Liza, 
you are going to be amazed. She is belting crazy high notes and her yeah. voice is crystal clear. But like you said, one of my favorite, and I'm obsessed with this cast album, one of my favorite um, recordings is the song, All I Need Is One Good Break, which I will tell any young, spunky, strong belter to sing, as you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's she's She's singing this thing and before it gets into the meat of the song, she does this job application, you know, where she's writing this job application for the job at the department store. And uh, she does this phrase where it's like, I'd be glad to tell you, Mr. Merrick, I'd be. And then she literally guffaws in the middle of the musical phrase. Like she like she's acting on the recording. She's not just acting on Broadway like we expect that or we hope that she's acting on I mean, Broadway. Yes. But she's in the recording booth doing the album. They don't do the they don't record these on a Broadway stage. It it sounds like you are listening to a live performance. I mean yeah. it was live when she did it, but she's acting and you don't you don't see that. And that's something no. that I think she's carried through her career. And now that and she's And it's my favorite thing about her. She tells a story. She tells a story. Oh my gosh absolutely tells a story and you and you coach young performers right yeah and it's the first thing i say to them i'm like i don't care about the notes stop listening to yourself and anyone else who's in the room i tell them you are not allowed to pass comment what i want to hear are the words i right. want to hear your words i want to hear your point of view on the words like go Make listen to liza every musical theater performer young studying just liza go listen to her go listen to liza uh so Back to Flora. Flora gave us Liza. Flora gave us Liza. Thank you. Also, thank you, Judy Carlin. Gave us Liza. I mean, she's really the one <laughs> really, responsible. She's, she's responsible for that. Yeah. Uh, gave us Candor and Ebb. So also thank you, theater gods. Important how Prince moment, like, like we had mentioned earlier, uh, he decided to start directing the shows that he was producing by and large. He also famously, you know, you brought up Cabaret, which is a very serious politically charged concept yeah. musical. Apparently after Flora, he said he didn't want to do fluffy musical comedies anymore. He wanted there to do go. work that meant more because he felt he could have done that with Flora. And so we get Evita, we get, you know, um, company, we get Follies, we get Parade, like we get these shows thanks to Flora's. So we get the legend of how Prince, I think, because yeah. of of the way that this show turned out. Um, but sadly, we also get George Abbott kind of losing his legend, his his mystery and lore, because it was a lot of a lot of flops that happened after this, unfortunately. Yeah, which is too bad. I think I I think George Abbott, <laughs> he might be one of my favorite classic musical book writers. He's a big one. Yeah. He, I just appreciate that he takes aside from Flora. We've already talked about it, right? But on a lot of his other stuff, he really takes the time to actually flesh out a full storyline, and it's not—it's not just what gets us to the next song, right? It's—it's right. it's about connecting all the dots, which right. I really, really appreciate. Okay, so Flora flops on Broadway. Um, sometimes when shows flop like this, uh, they are kind of forgotten. But this one persisted. I imagine it's because Candor and Ed became huge you know, yeah. beacons well, in the industry. I think even having a light having Liza's name attached to the first production will right. make will make an impact. Absolutely. So it's been it's been attempted a couple of times. Um there was a TV version of it. I don't know if you knew that. No. <laughs> You're making the straightest face right now. Uh so I'm 
Okay, there was this Sunday morning TV show on CBS called Camera 3. Uh, and it was essentially for, like, cultural elitists. That's why it was on Sunday mornings, because, you know, the cultural literate elite are the only ones who wake up early on the weekends. And this show was on okay. CBS for, like, 20 years, uh, from the 50s um, until wow, the I've end. I've really of the... never heard of this. That's impressive. Camera 3. Go look it up. Cool. Uh, but they do an episode in 1978 on Flora the Red Menace. And... Uh, it's 30 minutes long, so I don't know. I don't know why they chose Flora, but they obviously only were like, we're going to do this much. We're gonna yeah, do a it's little like bit. a concert version. Yeah, it's basically just songs and narration, honestly. I watched the entire thing. Um, okay. I didn't I didn't know it exist until, you know, we jumped into this. I was yeah, like... random Google. I knew lots of stuff about Flora, but I'm TV. Okay. And the fact that I could find it was really weird. But, um, but that kind of disappears. Uh, and then... It gets revived. Uh, right. Off-Broadway, though, right? Off-Broadway in 1987 um, at the uh, Vineyard Theater. And uh, there were some famous players attached to that. Yeah. Um, it was... Do you know who directed that? Yeah, it was Scott Ellis, right? Scott Ellis, which uh, directed a lot of Cantor and Ebb stuff. Steel Pier. Uh, and The World Goes Round, which is one of my favorite reviews ever. I love The World Goes Round. He also directed a lot of Frasier. Fun Wait, fact. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> B.B. Newworth. It's all, it all comes back to Cantor and Depp. <laughs> um, uh, but choreography by Susan Stroman. It was totally a Stro show. So. Stro show. That means everyone had to be 5'9 with legs. Yes. Legs up to their necks. Uh, and Vianne Cox. If you don't know who Vianne Cox is, uh, she was the Caucasian stepsister in the Whitney Houston Cinderella. So oh. She was Flora. I love that. That's fun, right? That is uh, fun. But uh, they totally... So what they did to, to fix it, quote unquote, is they threw out George Abbott's book. They're like, no, thank you. Uh, and they made That's it smart choice. more serious. Uh, they okay. streamlined the plot. Um, they added a bunch of cut songs back into the show. Uh, and they gave it... Uh, they basically made it like a Hal Prince concept musical because they put a framing device around it. Um, oh, okay. It is being presented by the WPA, the Federal Theater Project. So it's like a government theater <laughs> in the depression putting okay. on this musical about the dangers of communism oh that's um, smart all right that that kind of solves your issue yeah and so they allow which allowed them to do it very cheaply too so it has like no sets and costumes because it's this like federal theater project it has no money you know <laughs> right and it has, i kind like, of love that i nine... mean i'm always a fan of a simplified set Right. Well, and there's only like nine people in it and they double as all the characters. And uh, I think I don't know if it was available for licensing before this, but I do know that it did become available after this. Is this uh, what Reprise used? I think it's the only version of the show that exists now. Oh, OK. Yeah. Like I. I so speaking of working at that college you went to and giving people songs, I had to make special version of the sheet music of one good break to match the recording because it's different in oh, the revival. So right, okay. I had to make a special version because it's different. We, we, I don't have the original score. As far as I know, it doesn't exist. So Oh, okay. Well, this will be in Bobby's closet. <laughs> Another magical thing. Cat, magical cabinet of mysteries. <laughs> That's so bad. Uh, but so, yeah, it happens in 1987. They release it for licensing. But I don't know many people who've done floor. It's not like 
there are some flops, you know what I mean? Like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. They do it everywhere, you know? And I think a lot of modern flops, you look at Seussical, you look at the weddings, everybody does those. I always forget that Seussical is a flop. Big old flop. But because it, Shrek, also a flop. Like everybody. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. <gasps> does that mean we get to do it on this podcast? Yes, it does. <laughs> Um, uh, at one day, but, uh, yeah. So uh, I feel like a lot of flops get done all the time, but Flora, you don't see community theaters. I don't know for whatever reason, people don't want to touch it. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of another production after off Broadway. I mean, the only other one I know is reprise. So for those of you who don't know, reprise is like encores, but in LA, um, it had or at a least really it long was. Yeah, it had a long run and unfortunately it closed, but it was the artistic director was Jason Alexander from Seinfeld of Seinfeld (laughs) and Broadway, but and everything and like Chekhov and Shakespeare and all the things. Merrily Um, we roll along, which we will (laughs) do on this podcast one day. If you didn't guess from our poster. (laughs) So back to Flora. Um, It cost 400, about $400,000 to produce and it lost everything. Half a million dollars in 1965 is a lot of money. Like remember, 30 bucks a week was a lot of money in the 30s when Flora took place. Um, It only played 87 performances. uh, Oh my gosh. Which I'm actually shocked it lasted that long. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean... I think that the reason it did last that long is because the the saving grace was Liza. I mean, she won the Tony, right? And that's rare. I mean, for people, so there are some iconic performances in flop shows. You know, mm. when we eventually get to my my favorite favorite, you know, um, Carrie the Musical. Like, if I you still didn't know think it's already. a. I think it's a shame that Betty Buckley didn't win because it is probably one of the most transcendent, magical, ethereal, like one of a kind performances on Broadway. But that doesn't always happen. Like in a lot of times, really awesome performances and flops don't even get nominated. Um, but yeah, Liza, she's unfortunate. In those 80, what, 87 performances? Uh, yeah, 87 performances. Not only did the Tony nominators decide, like, we got to nominate her, the Tony voter, like, that's insane, actually. When you when you break it down, they all determine, yeah, she's the one. She's the, she's the winner. Because it's not like she was still doing it. <laughs> right. A year later that everyone could be like, okay, you know, um, let's go watch. She left that much of a mark on the community, which is huge. Huge. Exactly. Huge. Um, so do we think this show, because we kind of you kind of mentioned earlier that the, the title really suits itself to a play. Do we think that this show could be a play? Um, hmm. I don't I don't know, actually. Uh, Flora, I think it might be too quirky. Yeah, you'd have to get the right. You'd have to get the right book writer like David Lindsay Abair. Someone like that, or, um, I mean, it's, it could be maybe a Chekhov play or something. Um, well, I know we mentioned that with Seven Brides, but... Uh, I mean, Seven Brides would have to be a Chekhov play to No, work. I think with the, the the right playwright, absolutely, because it tackles a lot of stuff. I think in plays, we totally buy, you know, yeah, of course she's flirting with, you know, communism, socialism, and her own personal determination in a capitalist society. It might work better as a play, honestly. Oh, because, you know, really thinking about it, because maybe the songs take away from the seriousness that it needs. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I would I would agree with that. I mean, when you listen to the score, you don't really nothing about it shouts out this turmoil of 
of uh, communism. political. <laughs> no, but like a political divide within yourself, right? Like, right. And and that turmoil that people. I mean, I I mean, we saw it in 2020 and going into 2021 with everything politically and how much there's a lot of divide in this country because of it. Right. And I think that that is a valid thing to struggle with. Um, But if it were to get revived, I think it would still stay a musical because it's so iconically a license show and a Kandra and Ebb show. Well, the songs are still so famous. So it's like, you can't do Flora without, without, you can't, no, no, but I would be interested to see if they did revive it. What, who you would find for Flora. Flora has to be a force to be reckoned with, but also really young. She needs to be a triple threat. Well, yeah, it, with the magic of Liza doing it is they caught her before she was a star, you know? Right. And before it Sally was lightning Bowles, in a bottle. Well, before like she became a character of Liza, like all legends do, you know? Right. And it, it, look, when drag queens start doing you, quote <laughs> quotes, when they start doing you, like share. Or bad. Or, you know, all the legends, Merman, any of them, um, you know, there's a reason you get to that point. There's the birth yeah. of the legend. And that's this is that moment for Liza Minnelli, totally. who is also a person that drag queens do. <laughs> Thank you, Alexis Michelle, season whatever, <laughs> Drag Race. Oh, yeah, uh, that was actually, oh, man, that was rough. <laughs> she did her, though. People do, Liza. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's like lightning in a bottle. And I think that's why Flora worked. I think... If Liza, I don't know if she would have been able to do it after Cabaret. I don't think the show... Yeah, I don't know. I think as a performer, she may have been too self-aware, you know? She was yeah. she was Liza after Cabaret. Okay, so if it were to be revived, who do we think could be... Th- I mean, also keep in mind that this could easily go colorblind casting. Oh, and absolutely should. I have always felt this way, that um, if this show is revived, it should absolutely be a person of color uh, playing Flora. There's The show is not about race. It is not... Um, it's not about race. It's about a woman and her determination and this conflicted choice that she makes. And, you know, I think it could be played by, by actresses of all types. Um, but I specifically would love to see a, a, an African-American actress do it. You know what I mean? I would do love to see... Do you have someone see... in mind? So... The only time I have physically experienced a lightning in a bottle, Liza Minnelli star making performance is when I saw the revival of Color Purple, which I saw like three times. And the first time I saw it, I enjoyed the show immensely. Um, And I didn't know that I would, but I enjoyed it immensely. And then at the end, when Cynthia Erivo, who was fierce and fantastic all night long, when she sang I'm Here, I was with a friend who knows lots and lots about musicals like I do. And I actually said to them, I'm like, she should she should star in Flora the Red Menace. That's that is Flora. Like that is mm. that is who it is. And of course, you know, she became a star overnight uh because of that show. Um so I would have said at one point Cynthia Erivo, but like I said, you have to catch them at the right moment for this role yeah, because and I think I think we're past that now. Yeah, well she's she's a big star now. So there's that you lose that innocent. It doesn't matter how much of a fantastic actor you are. Yeah. And there's something about that bright-eyed youth to Okay. I okay. have someone then. Okay, so who who would you cast then? Have you watched Jingle Jangle? I haven't seen it yet. I am the worst. I know. You I have know. to watch it. I okay, know. that's your homework. It's like six. Even it's though it's like a Christmas six. movie. It's like six. No, but the little girl in Jingle Jangle is... Yes. 
All right. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, do we know? Do we know her name? Madeline Mills. Madeline Mills. So Madeline Mills is going to star in the Broadway revival of Flora the Red Menace, produced by Bobby Us. Christina. And produced by My Favorite Flop. My Favorite Flop and all of you listeners, because you're all going to put money into it. It'll be like Ken Davenport's Godspell revival. The people yes. of Flora. <laughs> Well, I think we did it, right? I think listeners have uh, gotten a, a little taste of how much we love this little oh. weird musical uh, that iconically launched the careers of so many famous people. Um, what do you think? What do I think? I think everyone needs to go to our website and listen to the Spotify playlist and comment about Palomino Pal. It's <laughs> your favorite song ever. Well, and then my favorite song, which... Um, uh, is going to be a weird one, but I totally wanted to sing it in college. Sign here, which is where Harry tries to convince <laughs> Liza's character, Flora, to join the Communist Party. I was a strange, strange... Of course you picked that song. Strange, strange, strange <laughs> boy in, in university. Um, but yes, go listen, and if you like the album, go buy it so that Mr. John Kander can make some monies and Liza and all those people. And all um, the but yeah, we want to thank you. Thank you for joining us on another fabulous flop a musical misfit. Um, an adventure. <laughs> such an adventure. We love you all. Uh, make sure to subscribe. It's really important. Um, and leave us a five-star review uh, if you enjoy the show. Um, and tell all of your friends, right? Also find us on all the socials because we love talking to you guys. It's been my favorite part of this entire process. Literally, Christina sends me a message. She's like, oh my gosh, look what so-and-so said. And I was like, yes, yes. Uh, it's so much fun. Um, people have been uh, not only telling us how much they've been enjoying the show, but sharing what their favorite flops are. Uh, so please keep reaching out. Send us DMs, comment, message us. Um, you can find us everywhere at My Favorite Flop or at our website, www.myfavoriteflop.com. It's on the internets. All right, so our next episode, episode five, is in two weeks on March 2nd. So before we let you go, we have to give you the first clue for episode number five, right? Ooh. Okay, so the first clue is this musical is based on a film starring Sarah Jessica Parker, and it's not Sex in the City, because that's no. not a musical yet. <laughs> oh, no. But like that's a hard one, right? I I feel I like think so. I feel like several of her movies have been turned into musicals. Yeah, we've got to make these harder for you guys because you guys are really smart. You're guessing like you need to start like not guessing until like up clues number three and four instead of the <laughs> first one. So Sarah Jessica Parker movie, okay, that's a good one. Um, but so take that clue and make sure you follow all of our socials because clues two, three, and four are on different social channels. So they you are. Can't, you can't just go to Twitter. You have to go to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Instagram. Oh man! So follow us everywhere. And then also check in next week. Because we're doing another episode of After the Bows. After the Bows, which is this companion series we didn't even know we were going to be doing. Uh, where we meet with former cast members, members of the creative team, super fans. Super fans are my favorite. If we can't find anybody, it might be our mom. And we're going to be like, so what do you think of communism? Music? Yeah. Cool. But You're a baby boomer. But they're on Facebook Live. Twitch and YouTube on our off weeks. Uh, so we'll have a special, special, fantastic one for Flora next week. But yeah, like, subscribe, tell all your friends. And um, uh, we'll we can't wait to see you on the next episode. On the next episode. Christina, do you have something to uh, leave with our guest? To all the wedding singers out there, 
Don't be a casualty of love. Stay at home and wear a mask. Okay, okay bye. bye.